Welcome to the Toka Backstage Podcast. Join Toka's Executive Director, Chris Wolf in conversations with the artists and people behind the scenes of the Torrance Cultural Arts Foundation's performances and events. Welcome to another edition of Toka Backstage. This is Chris Wolf, the Executive Director of the Torrance Cultural Arts Foundation. Just prior to the COVID-19 epidemic, we had the concert Go Now, the music of the Moody Blues scheduled, and we were very excited about it. Unfortunately, because of the obvious travel restrictions, uh, they weren't able to um, follow through with their US tour, so we had to cancel the show. However, prior to that, we I actually had the um, pleasure of speaking with Gordon Marshall, the drummer of uh, Moody Blues for over 25 years and um, one of the creators of the show. And so we're going to present that uh, interview with you now. Also, uh, they were kind of bummed out about not being able to follow through with their U.S. tour. So they posted a um, concert, and I think it's about an hour-long concert on YouTube, and we will provide the link for you as well. Needless to say, with all that's going on, the arts organizations in this community and actually all across the country have been impacted pretty hard. Uh, if you would like to do your part to help us out to continue our mission to present amazing programming and cultural events at the uh, Torrance Cultural Arts Center, please text the word TOCA25, T-O-C-A 25, to 44321. That'll give you the uh, link to make any donation that you see fit. Seeing as Giving Tuesday is coming up, we thought this might be a good time to share that information with you. I uh, hope you enjoy the, the interview and please check out the concert online. It's, uh, it's, it's an amazing show. Hopefully we'll be able to bring it back sometime in the near future, but until then, this will have to do. Stay well and uh, we'll hope to see you in the theater real soon. Welcome to another edition of uh, Toka Backstage. This is Chris Wolf, the Executive Director of the Torrance Cultural Arts Foundation. It is my extreme honor and privilege to have Gordy Marshall from the show Go Now, which will be at the Armstrong Theater on April 11th at 8 o'clock. Um, and Go Now is the music of the Moody Blues. Gordy, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I certainly do appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Nice. It's good to be here. And if I understand correctly, you are currently in the UK, right? That's right. I'm, at my, I'm speaking to you from my... From, I call it my studio. It's the back bedroom of my house in Wimbledon. So as you can probably see out into the garden. So this is where I come and hide myself away during the day and work. Perfect. Um, so if I understand correctly, you were part of the Moody Blues for like 25 years? That's right. Yes, I joined them in 1990. And um, then I, I left in 2015. Um, and then I started my own band, uh, which to begin with wasn't a Moody Blues tribute. It was just a group of session musicians that we, we all got together and we called ourselves um, The Rewind Project. And we played songs from all of the artists that we'd worked with. So we had somebody from the Hollies. Um, we obviously have Mick Wilson from 10CC. A lot of us have worked with Sir Cliff Richard. So we did some Moody Blues, we did some 10CC, we did some Cliff Richard, we did some Hollies. And um, because I've worked with Jeff Wayne's The War of the Worlds, we did a couple of um, songs from that album as well. That's how it started off. But that band in its incarnation still does occasional gigs. But the, the music of the Moody Blues, which I love with a passion because I've, I've been playing the music for so long, that seemed to hit a chord with so many people. So we 
morphed the band into a straight Moody Blues tribute show. And that's the that's the beast for me that goes down the best of everything. We've got a number of shows. We've got we've also got an Eagles show and a Carpenter show, but the Moody Blues show is the one where my heart is and and, and I love playing it. Awesome. And and I, I could imagine that 25 years on the road with Moody Blues would be a whole nother podcast in and of itself. Um, but it's a book. <laughs> there you go. Um, what What do you think is so so magnetic about the the music? I mean, it truly is iconic. And and what do you think people? What do you think resonates with people so much about it? Uh, I mean, that's the sixty four million dollar sixty four thousand dollar question. Um, the music of the Moody Blues, I believe, transcends sort of style and, uh, and fashion. They weren't trying to be a pop group as such. Um, all, of them, all of the men in the Moody's, John Lodge, Justin Haywood, Graham Edge, uh, Ray Thomas, uh, I'd never played in the band with Mike Pinder, but Mike was, was a, a deep intellect. They were all uh, heavy readers. They, wrote, they read a lot of philosophy. They were looking for enlightenment, I think, in themselves. And I think that came across in their music. And there's a depth to the music that I think is rare for, for classic rock bands. Um, Graham, who was the original drummer, has written some amazing poetry, which was obviously put to music. They all had eclectic musical tastes, which they brought to the table when they composed. So one of them would write a song and then the others would join in and then add their bits. And I think that's one of the reasons why the, the sum is greater than the parts. Um, and, you've got, and they've also, they've spanned so many different musical genres. So you've got songs such as, I'm just a singer in a rock and roll band, which is an out and out rock song. You've got, um, I know you're out there somewhere, which is a, which is a classic, basically it's a pop rock song. And then you've got Nights in White Satin, which is the all-time classic love ballad. And the chorus consists of I Love You. That's it. And then you've got songs such as House of Four Doors and you've got Timothy Leary, about the, uh, you know, the famous um, uh, lecturer in America that advocated LSD. That it's such a depth of um, investment intellectually and emotionally that the results of their music for me, it's just not, not, like nothing I've ever heard before or heard from any other group of artists together. Sounds a bit deep, that, but I really do mean No, that. that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. And so the group started, I think, in 1965? Yep. And they, I, I, they're not still going, right? Or am I... No, well, um, no, well, the Moody Blues, the original Moody Blues, the lead singer was Denny Lane before Justin Hayward and John Lodge joined. And Go Now was the song that was the Moody Blues' first number one hit in 1965, and uh, written by Bessie Banks. And that was a song that was on the album called The Magnificent Moody's. Then Denny Lane left the Moody Blues and joined Paul McCartney, and they created Wings. So the Moody Blues were looking for a new singer, and Justin Hayward came along, and John Lodge did along at the same time. And then they got together as the sort of second incarnation of the Moody Blues. And that's when they recorded the album Days of Future Past, which I think was in 1960. I think they recorded it in 66 and it was released in 67, I think. And that album was originally a demonstration album for the, uh, for the label Decca, because they wanted to demonstrate this brand new technology they had at the time called stereo. And they were <laughs> gonna put an orchestra on one side and a pop group on the other. Um, 
And when they got into the studio, they sort of mashed the two together. And that was, that was the very first orchestral rock, effectively. And obviously, Days of Future Past had Tuesday afternoon, Nights in White Satin. It had poetry on it. It was a, it was a, a, a brilliant album and obviously put, brought them to the international stage. Well, and it's so funny because even now when you just mentioned Nights in White Satin, the, the song goes in my head. It's like, yeah. it's, you, I don't think you can get rid of it. No, you can't. It's just, it's a beautiful song. And it's so amazing too, I find that, you know, tribute bands are great, but it's, it's always great to have somebody who has been with the band to be a part of that, that group. And I find that the audiences for tribute bands range from baby boomers to children, because nowadays it's so easy to find the music it's like before we were all sort of adhered to a radio station where we just heard what the radio station played. But now with the internet, people find everything. Do yeah. you think that that helps to keep sort of that music alive, that kids are finding it now? Yes, I really do. Uh, I mean, in the industry, they call that the long tail. So it used to be that you would go along to a record shop and you could only buy what was physically in the store. Um, and now, of course, with digital downloads and iPhones and what have you, you can have any piece of music that's ever been recorded. So that just opens up the entire world's musical catalogue, which has to be a good thing. Access to sort of limitless music is just is wonderful. Um, I've seen online recently, which is, uh, it's, it's on YouTube, it's something like song reactions, and you get people... There's a couple of uh, black guys that are into hip hop, and what they do is they 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 sit in their studio. Someone will suggest a song to them, or put the headphones on, and they'll listen to some old song. And these guys that are used to sort of rapping and uh, in the hood and all that sort of stuff, not not from our not not from <laughs> our genre. And I watched one, and this guy had like three million views, and he put on Nights in White Satin. And he sort of, he listened to it for a while. And in the end, he's got tears coming down his eyes. And this is a sort of a black guy from New York in his 20s, who's the very first time he heard the song. And they did it right through to the end with the orchestral outro and then Graham's um, poem at the end. And he's going, man, this is fantastic. That's when I think you realize that a song like that isn't just a pop song of its time. It's a classic evergreen song. And it'll be, it'll be classic. It'll be the classical music of the future. Yeah. Agreed. Do you um, do you think that well as a as a as a musician playing this this music for you were with them for twenty five years. I don't know how how long it's been since you've actually been part of the group. But do you do you have a favorite song that you like to play? <laughs> um, I, I'm going to say no. Actually, uh, I, I have favorites. Uh, we do a song called The Other Side of Life, which is like a 12-8 a blues shuffle. And I just love playing that just because of the physicality. There's just something groovy about playing. A, a, on. There's just something nice about that. So I enjoy that for that reason. I love playing Timothy Leary because of the, um, the musical corners in it. There's, there's a lot of uh, stops and starts and uh, accelerandos. And, and you have to listen very carefully to see where everybody's going because it's not metronomic. Um, I love playing Searing in a Rock and Roll Band because it's just a straight-ahead rock song. 
But then, of course, we get to Nights in White Satin and you can see people in the audience registering with that song. And then you realize, you know, what it means to a lot of people. And you've got to take a song like that very seriously. Yeah. So I have favorites. But uh, I think, the, to be perfectly honest, just the, the band's my favorite band. And how did, how did you, well, going back to the, to the start, how did you, I mean, were you just invited to be a part of the Moody Blues? Did you audition? How did that relationship start? Um, yeah, actually, uh, uh, Graham had an injury uh, in, in 1990. I think he fell over and headbutted his mahogany floor <laughs> after a couple of bottles of wine, um, something like that. And uh, they, uh, he, he did actually seriously hurt his back. So they wanted another drummer to come in and just help out for one nine-week tour. Um, and they held a series of what can only be described as cattle call auditions um, uh, at that time. And I went it's from Monday to Friday. And I went in on the Wednesday morning and uh, and they picked me on that day. I think they got bored of listening to drummers by Wednesday. So, but originally I was just booked for nine weeks um, and Graham and I got on like a house on fire um, and it worked really well having two drummers on stage. So they asked me back for the next tour and then the following year. So there was never, it wasn't like a 25 year contract. It was just a series of short, uh, can you come along and do this tour? And yes. And then I just did every tour for 25 years going on. That's amazing. And and um, so you, your band that you have now, did, did you go through the same process um, putting this together or did you just know that all these people? No, these, these, are, these are guys that I've known um, for a long time. Uh, Mick Wilson, um, who sang for 20 years with 10CC, he, uh, the Moody Blues and 10CC did a double headlining show in, uh, at the Coca-Cola Dome in Johannesburg in South Africa. Uh, about seven or eight years ago. And um, we'd realized that we'd worked together 30 years previously and it was great to hook up. And I saw him sing with 10CC and he was he's just astonishing singer. Great on stage, really relaxed. And we got chatting at breakfast the next day. Um, and this is where the, 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 the idea of the band came along. And uh, he said, so what, what are you doing at the end of the tour? I said, well, nothing until the next tour and that's four months away. He said, same here. I said, we should put a band together. He said, you put a band together and, and I'll come and sing in it. So that's pretty much what we did. Then we've got a guy called um, Patrick Duffin, um, who I've known for a while. Uh, he's, he's our, I, we call him our secret weapon. He plays bass with us in America. Uh, in the UK, often plays keyboards, but guitar is his first instrument. And he's a fantastic singer. Um, and then Nick Kendall, uh, Mick Wilson brought Nick Kendall, the guitarist, along. And then we've got another guitarist called Tim Maple, uh, who uh, is the musical director for X Factor over here in the UK. Um, and then we've got a bass player called Malcolm Moore, um, who works in Mamma Mia in the West End. So we've, uh, these are all musicians I've known for decades. And I know they're, they're all great singers. That's the most important thing because the movies have got a multi, it's not like uh, a pops, uh, like a pop group with one singer. Everybody in the band sings. So you've got to have three four strong singers. So they're all great instrumentalists and they're all great characters as well. So they were all hand-picked um, and we sort of got together and had a what you would call a chemistry test and played a few songs and it was just, as soon as we played, I thought, no, this is it. This is, this is perfect. That's great. So I, I imagine it's it's got to be difficult taking on like the Moody Blues. Do you ever get people like upset with you after the show that you didn't play a certain number or you know, they just want more? 
Um, yeah, our biggest, I mean, the Moody Blues, have, I mean, they're nine big albums. When, you, when I went through the list to see what we were going to play, I was just scrolling down. I thought, no, surely I'm going to get to the bottom of this. They've written hundreds and hundreds of songs. Um, so our biggest choice, our biggest decision is what to leave out. Um, that's my dog, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, so the band's downstairs rehearsing one new number called How Much Is That Doggy in the Window? And that's the intro. <laughs> that's actually my wife coming home from work, but uh, she'll, she'll stop in a minute, I'm sure. Um, you can't edit live, can you? Yeah, uh, no, and that's that's the beauty of it. It's like theater, you know. It's that's like when I'm backstage with, with people during the during shows. I'm like super calm, and people go, "How can you be so calm?" And I'm like, "It's gonna happen no matter what." So just yeah, enjoy the ride. <laughs> well, yeah, enjoy the barking. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's okay. So, At least so my cats back. aren't coming up here. So what was the question again? <laughs> I've come back. Do, you, do people ever? Um, oh, that's right. Yes. Um, we do get a lot of requests because people have their favourites. Um, uh, people don't get upset with us. I mean, thankfully, the show goes down so well. We always get a standing ovation. It's lovely to play this music and then see people respond to it because they know the music. So mostly we just get, we get love back and lots of applause, which is what more can you want? You know, right. it, beats, it beats working for a living anyway. I <laughs> uh, shouldn't really say that. Um, but no, people don't get upset. But about songs we don't play but we are trying to mix and match so every year this is our fourth year of touring now and um, we try and introduce new songs all the time so our catalogue and our repertoire rather is is growing slowly we're adding a, a two or three songs a year nice if you, were to play, if you were to play them all back to back you could do it you could do a seven hour concert well that that was like there we just did another tribute show um piano men which is the music of billy joel and elton john and yeah. I just kept saying, how do you, I mean, their catalogs to combine would make a two-day concert. How do you pick and choose? So I, got, I imagine it's got to be part personal aesthetic and part what is the audience going to want. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that show. They came over to the UK. That's Terry Davis and his son Nick, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, wow, that's a great show. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they well, they just seem to sort of. I think really, if you do a show long enough, you the set list becomes a work of art, and you get to realise which songs fit with each other. It, it used so it's like an album used to be. You'd put songs together on an album. You could spend weeks and weeks working out the set list for an album, so each song complements each other. You can't have two songs in the same key next to each other. You can't have two songs in the same tempo next to each other. So you have to give all of those. I, those thoughts into the thought process. They, you have to think about it quite deeply. Um, but yeah, it's, the set list itself is is a big challenge. What to leave out? Yeah, I, 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 I'm glad I didn't have to make those decisions. Well, if you've got uh, any requests, Chris, put them on a piece of paper and let me know. <laughs> and we can, we'll see if we can uh, we'll slot them in for you. That's okay. Um, so one of the things besides presenting wonderful shows like yours, the foundation does is we try to help mentor and encourage young up and coming artists, performers. And I always like to ask people um, who I talk to, do you have any suggestions or words of encouragement that you impart to young performers who are trying to find their way? Uh, yes, I do. It's an open question. And of course, it's a, you could do an entire TED talk on that, couldn't you? Um, I think really, 
first of all, find something that speaks to you. Find a, a genre of music that speaks to you, whether it's jazz or classical. It's irrelevant to what it is. It has to be something that you, ha you can identify with and something that you love doing. Um, and then the most important thing is, sounds very simple, is practice. Uh, all of the musicians that I know that are virtuosos have spent years literally practicing six, eight, sometimes 10 hours a day for years and years. I know it sounds excessive, but that's what's required in order to get the sort of chops that you that are needed to be able to do it in a way that people respond well. So in terms of um, you know, putting a band together or getting work, I really don't know because the industry has changed so dramatically since I entered it 40 years ago that there is no route in. It's not like if you wanted to be, uh, if you wanted to do medicine or law, there's a route that you can take, an academic route. With music it's, it's, and, and, and the arts, it's entirely down to the individual and how they want to express themselves. So my, I think my advice would be is find something that you love, uh, practice it with passion, and perform it wherever and whenever you can and try and get as good as you possibly can and then market yourself where, wherever you possibly can and, and opportunities will open up for you whether it's people that you meet through the music that you play and then you join up and join up with somebody and you create something between you or whether you become a solo artist and you've just got one particular thing that you want to do um yeah i think passion is probably the biggest the biggest prerequisite for being a musician and I, I, I think that is probably hands down the number one answer I typically get is find something that you're passionate about, follow that passion, because at the end of the day, that's what you're going to have to live with. And yep. it's so interesting that that um, I was just thinking, because you're a, a drummer, there was a little a, a group that performed in one of our talent competitions called the the Lemon Drops. And. I don't think they're still around, but they were like three girls and there was a drummer. And I remember one of the, the comments the judges made was that she was like very charismatic. And I'm, I wonder, do you, do you think that there's something innate that comes across when you're performing? What do you mean? mean for me? For, for anybody. I mean, do you think that that's part of, part of the magic of, yeah, I, I mean, normally what, what I tend to find, and this is a retrospective observation really, and that is that when you, um, when you get to know musicians well, and the way they play and the way they perform makes sense once you understand their personalities, because there's a link, I believe, between personalities and the way that you perform your music. I mean, Justin Hayward was famously called the reluctant rock star. Uh, because he wasn't, he, you know, didn't throw his arms around. He just stood there and played and sang, didn't move a lot. But that had a, a charisma all itself. And when you listen to the music, his 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 attention to details. That's one of the things that is really significant about him as a musician and a man. Um, his attention to detail with the music is off the scale. Um, and then when you, so his personality comes across in his music. John Lodge is uh, is more flamboyant, um, and again, that you can marry the two. You, the, when you watch him perform, you can see his personality in it. And Graham Edge, the drummer, of course, was just a hooligan, <laughs> and I say that in the nicest possible way, a gentleman hooligan. So he was uh, he was a fearless writer and a fearless performer, and he would just throw himself into it. Um, and yeah, so I think that the, the personalities 
when they come together, they create something that I said that when we first started talking means the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And do you, for me, I sort of label it as authenticity. It's like when you're being authentic to yourself, it, it comes across and people buy, buy into it. Whereas if you're trying to fit a mold that you think is going to be popular or make you money, but it's not who you are, then it's not going to sell that well. Does that make sense? Yeah, it sort of does make sense. I mean, I, I don't want to, I'm not degrading any of the um, tribute bands, but there are guys, you know, you, like ABBA groups and uh, Beatles groups, and they get dressed up and they wear the platforms and the wigs and everything. And that's fine because people go along and they suspend reality and they enjoy it for what it is. That's absolutely fantastic. And there are some great bands around like that. But we don't do that. So right. we're not dressing up like the Moody's. We are, I mean, if I could be so bold, I'd sort of equate us to an orchestra playing Beethoven, but in a modern sure. uh, modern context. So we are schooled musicians that have taken a serious body of work and we are uh, performing it live to the best of our ability, having the most fun we possibly can as we do it. Um, and that's what we do. And that seems to that seems to hit a, a note with an audience. They seem to get that. They know that they're seeing musicians, if I may say so, at the top of their game, um, performing brilliant music. And when you're in the room where music is being performed live, uh, that is a relationship between the, the people in the audience and the people on stage that you don't get when you listen to it on your headphones or you put a record on. It's great listening to records and the radio, but when you're in the same physical space as the music being played live, that creates its own energy. And when you've got musicians, like you say, that are into it and are passionate and are uh, authentic, um, that's the, for me, that's the ultimate live experience. Right. And I, I, I meant I, my comment wasn't really about tribute bands, but just uh, musicians in general. But going back to your point, I think the same could be true with with tribute bands. Like you said, you know, people who are coming from from a, an authentic place and a, a passionate place can carry it like like your show. We have one coming up called Yesterday and Today, which is a Beatles show, which is coming from a place of pure love for the Beatles. But it's not a dress up wigs thing. It's, it's actually an interactive thing where people come in, they write down their favorite Beatles song and they make up the set list right before the show. That's it's kind cool. of a fun concept, but, but that, that's coming from a pure place of pure love for the, for that music. So I think that like, like you said, it, it can be, it can be from the creator of music or, or somebody who just wants to be a musician and does a tribute band. I, th I think the passion has got to be there for you to be successful. Yeah, I, th I would agree with you. Well, um, last question. What do you want people to walk away from after the performance of Go Now? What's the feeling that you want them to walk away with? Um, I know it's, it probably sounds a bit corny, but I will say love. Um, because the... The mood, everything that the Moody Blues try to say can be summed up in the chorus of Nights in White Saturn, which is I love you. Um, and with when you think about what's happening in the world at the moment uh, and the, the way things seem to be going, one of the only sort of emotional respites I find I can get is when I listen to beautiful music performed really well. And it, it enriches me and it makes me feel better. I feel augmented as a person when I listen to great music. And I would hope and I would really hope that we can bring something like that to the people that come and see us, that they go out of, out of the 
auditorium of the venue thinking that was fantastic and they feel better and it's like slightly lighter in step and and just feeling good because that's that's what we're bringing to the table is just a, is a good feeling great well I, we're we're looking forward to it and i think we're going to need it <laughs> <laughs> that's a topic for another podcast isn't it <laughs> I, I i i don't go there no, whatever not. side you're on it's i don't think i don't go there no. um well, thank you so much. We're looking forward to the show. And again, that's Go Now, The Music of the Moody Blues, April 11th at the Armstrong Theater at 8 o'clock. Um, Gordy, thank you so much for taking the time. Chris, thank you so much. It's been a delight to talk to you. It really has. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much. I'll see you then. <laughs>